Next Chapter Podcasts. I don't know about you guys, but I kind of can't stop thinking about last week's episode of Indecent. If you tuned in, then you know that Caitlin Bailey from Old Pros was an incredible guest. She had so much information about sex work, the laws surrounding sex work, the bias around sex work, and just really mind-blowing stories to tell us. Especially when she was talking about the laws in Nevada. That, ooh, that'll grind your gears. Not that we're trying to feed the outrage machine here at Indecent, but it really goes to show you how archaic some of the laws in our country are when it comes to women's rights, sexual rights, gender equality. We just, ugh, mm, there's so much work to do. So next week, we're gonna go into all the like latent religious bullshit behind it. But for now, here's a little bit more from Caitlin Bailey. We talk a lot on this podcast about power and who really holds the power when it comes to technology, politics. Uh, Wall Street, Hollywood, but especially with technology, in many ways, I, I suppose technology has like elevated sex work and put people in front of their own content creation in terms of uh, handling their own clientele and kind of being in charge of that. But I hadn't heard that side of it where you're being surveilled and your rights could be taken away because you're putting that out there. Yeah, I mean, some of the folks that we work with at Old Pros, you know, have been denied access to dating websites because they have an OnlyFans account or because they were recognized on some platform that was being used for sex workers. So, you know, this is this is a real problem that we don't have good legislation around. Sex workers are not a protected class. We are a criminalized and stigmatized class. When you remove the taboo, you bring things into the, the light. The most important thing that you... Uh, uh, you create an opportunity for sex workers to report crimes committed against us, right? We are targeted by serial rapists, serial killers, predators of all kinds. And just the ability to report the crimes committed against us can make all of our communities safer, right? I think like every serial killer in the history of serial killers would have been caught sooner if we'd only been able to listen to sex workers. So in many ways, it's kind of like how when we're talking about matters of race like it, it's not enough to just not be racist you have to be anti-racist you actually have to champion the rights of people that look different than you and it's the same with sex workers you actually you, you can't just say well if you wanted to go do sex work go do sex work you actually have to take time to think about what are they experiencing what are their barriers right. what are their what are the dangers they're facing and actually help them and so, you know, at Old Pros, we're trying to move towards a future where no one is arrested, evicted, fired or loses custody of their children just for engaging in this work. And we don't live in that world right now. There are people who do legal sex work, whether it's, you know, porn or having an OnlyFans or being a content creator or working at a strip club, right? These are all legal forms of stigmatized sex work that lose their kids. They're denied uh, access to housing. They're denied access to banking and technology platforms. Um, and so I think it's important if we want to live in a free society, right? If we want to live in a society where women really have freedom of movement, I think it's important to champion the rights of sex workers. You know, I live in New York City and, you know, a couple of years ago, and Donald Trump signed SESTA-FOSTA into law and tried to erase sex workers from the internet. Uh, we can get into that federal law if you, if you want to. But immediately after that, this very nice restaurant on the Upper East Side stopped serving single women at their bar because they didn't want whores in their restaurant. So they just had a blanket policy of like, women are not allowed to, if you are a woman and you come into this restaurant and you ask to be seated, you'll be taken to a table, but you're not allowed to just socialize at the bar and that's what anti-sex work prostitution looks like. It's impossible to create policies or tactics that 
only isolate people that are directly engaged in, you know, in, in these solicitations or transactions, laws that target sex workers have always and will always target single women moving around in the world. That is so fucking wild. That is so archaic and barbaric mm-hmm. and just so not of this time. It feels like it, sh- it feels like that shouldn't be happening right now, but that is so insane. And yet here we are. Technology changes. People don't. I don't think that increased visibility of a stigmatized class necessarily leads to more rights. I think it can, right? We saw that with the LGBTQ plus movement. Um, I think that what is true is that we are already living in a society where everyone already knows a sex worker, um, even if they don't know that to be true. And I think that the ubiquity of OnlyFans maybe makes that easier, but I could, it's just as easy for me to imagine a future where that visibility uh, leads to more of a pushback, um, as we've seen with moral panics before, than with, you know, open-hearted acceptance of your sex worker, neighbor, or colleague, or friend. Um, It reminds me a lot of the marijuana industry, because, you know, it seemed great that they were legalizing marijuana and making it like a taxable thing that maybe could benefit the economy. But in the process, they squeezed out the same marginalized groups that they were arresting for marijuana before. Correct. And you're going to see a very similar pattern if we if we go down this this regulatory path. Right. Which is like mostly informed by the like fears and false narratives uh, of this moral sex panic that we're in. Right. Like a lot of the a lot of the bad laws are passed in the name of protecting women. But it comes from this like fundamental discomfort and visceral repulsion with. This very old, uh, very important labor. Yeah, something we talked about in another interview was, you know, a lot of people's first experience with sex is porn. And in porn, you see a lot of abuse porn. You see women in positions where they're not making choices willingly. And maybe if if sex work and porn was well, not regulated, but a li- um, what's the word I'm looking Decriminalized. for? Here? Decriminalized. Decriminalized. Yeah, destigmatize. Yeah. Then people's first exposure to sex would be healthier. Yeah, I think that like we if we all just relaxed a little bit, right, if we stopped conflating sex with violence, right, if we started thinking about sexual pleasure as like, I don't know, maybe a positive thing instead of like the primrose path to hell, then I think that we could really improve all of our sexual experiences. You know, I think that shame and stigma are major contributors to abuse, right? Child sexual abuse that overwhelmingly happens in the home, in the community, right? The people that are abusing children are priests and soccer coaches and uh, and parents and family members. You know, like it's not uh, it's not somebody from the outside coming in, if that makes sense. And so we like, but we like to pretend that it is. So we like to pretend that if we eliminate pornography, then we can eliminate child sexual abuse, except that child sexual abuse predates pornography and is not, that's not what that is. That's, you know, adults uh, consensually pretending uh, to be in, in hard situations. It's not like actual, actual footage. These are not documentaries. Um, 
And I think that it's it's inter- it's so interesting to me. And I, I know, you know, speaking to like another woman in media that we point to porn and we're like, look at this misogyny. There's so much misogyny here. We hate this misogyny. And I was like, well, I don't know. Have you seen like movies or read books or listened to the music? Because the misogyny is everywhere, right? Have porn you existed in this is- world? <laughs> I mean, listen, right? Like, if we want to crack down on misogyny, I am here for it. But, like, eliminating pictures of women's naked bodies is not going to lead to that. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I porn comes in all kinds of flavors. There's absolutely, you know, misogynistic, uh, consensual non-consent. Um, you know, if you're into rape fantasies, then, like, that content is available for you. But there's also a ton of feminist porn. There's a ton of queer porn. There's a ton of, like, content creators out there making really cool stuff. And that is easier when you remove the barriers to access, right? But when you add all of this regulatory structure, when you add the criminalization, when you add the stigmatization, it makes it harder for independent content creators to create cool content. And so all of that that legal burden is housed in like the big porn houses that are, you know, it, it concentrates power in the hands of like, I don't know, dudes that make money. And that's that's what happens. Yeah. Do platforms like OnlyFans push us to a place in society where maybe this work can be more normalized or is it pushing us away from that? I think it's I I don't think that the availability or ubiquity of like OnlyFans or erotic content creators is pushing more people to engage in sex work than at other points in our history, right? I think it's important to recognize that we are living that we are currently living in a very unique historic moment where women do have lots of job opportunities actually. And so I think that there are fewer people engaged in sex work today that didn't want to be than 100 years Years or 200 or 500 years ago when your your three options as a woman were like get married, uh, work in uh, as an exploited domestic labor textile worker or work in a brothel. Right. So, you know, we have more options today. And so I think that the increased visibility of sex work, um, you know, maybe there are some folks that are experimenting with it that wouldn't have if there were if there were more barriers. But no, I think that women have more uh, options professionally than we have at any other point in human history. And so, no, I don't think that this is creating an emergency of too many sex workers. Well, let me ask you this. If I wanted to become a sex worker, do you have any advice for me? You know, I wish I wish I could give you advice on uh, how to do that in a in a safe way. But unfortunately, with the the way that the laws are written, if I give you advice about, you know, how to keep yourself safe um, or how to reduce harm or like, you know, even uh, how to market yourself, that could be viewed as promoting prostitution, which is like a criminal crime. So sorry. And speaking of exploitation and moral choices, you ended up going into stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy. Yeah, I really, I thought that making people laugh for a living would be less morally complicated uh, than doing politics, but I was uh, wrong. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I can relate. I left news because I was like, oh, I'm being abused in news. And then I became a comic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Paid in, um, it's a, for those of you, for those uh, uninitiated, um, stand-up comedy is, um, 
it, it really it's a tournament economy. It's it's hundreds, if not thousands of people willing to kill themselves for stage time. And so, you know, uh, it's expected that you, you know, pay for your own travel. You're often paid in alcohol, uh, put in um, unsafe or at least uncomfortable uh, housing situations, not to say uh, to say nothing of work place environments. You know, there's no HR department in comedy. And that's like sort of the nature that's the nature of the work. But um, yeah, I mean, when I was working as uh, when I was working as a sex worker, um, people responded to my emails and paid my rate and respected my boundaries. And when I was trying to get booked uh, for stage time, um, people felt too comfortable, I think, taking liberties uh, with my with my time and and person. Um, so, yeah, I don't know about your experience um, in the entertainment industry or, or working as a comic, but. No, that's accurate. Yeah, you're constantly yeah. getting bent over, but nobody's fucking you. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yep. Interesting. A lot, so, of, a lot of extra long hugs from people with too much power. Yeah. Yeah, that's real. So, OK, so you're in this comedy and sex worker space. Mm hmm. How do those influence each other? Because sex is inherently funny and comedians talk about sex all the time. Correct. But you're coming at it from like a different place. So sure. But the work you're doing now is very serious. So I guess how do those all kind of play into each other, into your sense of humor, into your sex work? Like where are, where do those boundaries intersect? What are boundaries? <laughs> um, I think that sex work and comedy um are very similar in some fundamental ways, like thinking about sort of the our archetypal position in society. We are both jesters in court, right? We're able to say and do things that normal citizens aren't allowed to say or do. But in but we also um, are singing for our supper. We have sort of a a tenuous social position. So we are we're rule breakers, but we are also um, existing sort of like on the on the edges of of society does that make sense um all right yeah let me try let me try that one more time so i think all right uh, i want to say it again anyway sorry i'm sorry i got i know that yeah all right yeah so uh, comics comics and sex workers i think um are very similar and in, in important ways we are both like thinking about like sort of our archetypal position, right? We are jesters in court, right? Like so jesters, right? They're allowed to speak truth to power. They're allowed to tell the king, uh, you know, that his feet smell so long as he does it in a funny way. And if he doesn't, then he's uh, beheaded and disposable. And so he is on on the one hand able to like do things that other members of court are not allowed to do, but also he doesn't have any real power. And so sex workers are very similar in that like we have access to spaces, right? Historically, like we were women in powerful rooms thousands of years before women got the right to vote or own property. Uh, and yet, so we are able to do things, right, that others are not, but our position is tenuous and sort of dependent uh, on others. And so doing that dance felt similar as both like a sex worker and a stand-up comic. Um, I am a person who has like chosen freedom over stability many times in my life. And I think that that is the choice uh, of becoming a sex worker and also the choice um, of becoming a stand-up comic. Um, I will say uh, that 
as a as a sex worker, um, I felt like my time uh, was more valued uh, than as a comedian. Um, I certainly felt more exploited as an up and coming stand up comic than I ever did as a sex worker. Um, but I'll also say that um, these are both these are both gig economies that attract a certain kind of um, individualist, for lack of a better word. Thank you so much for talking to us and for doing the work that you're doing. I think it's super important. And it's I've, lo- I've learned a lot through this. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you so much for for listening to this with an open mind. You know, I know we are uh, revamping um, or turning a lot of very old narratives um, on their head, you know. So thanks for uh, thanks for the uh, intellectual elasticity to to reexamine this issue. No excuses. Go subscribe, rate, and review Indecent with Kiki Anderson wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the show at Indecent Kiki on Instagram. Follow me at It's Kiki Anderson. Email the show at IndecentThePod at gmail.com. And come back next week for more Indecent, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a a three-times-a-week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Next Chapter Podcasts.